0: Hello and welcome to the Cyber Scotland podcast. My name is Mike Smith and I'm the Incident Response and Threat Intelligence Manager at the Cyber and Fraud Centre. So this podcast links in with the previous Incident Response podcast we did a few weeks ago. Still once again on the topic of incident response. However, today we're going to be discussing a cyber incident, how it played out, this time from a victim's perspective. So we'll be discussing indicators that led up to the incident, talking through the incident as it progressed, possibly going over some of the days and weeks as it panned out. Today I'm joined by Lindsay Jackson, who's the Deputy Chief Executive at the Edinburgh Fringe Society. So Lindsay, first of all, thank you for joining me today. I know it must be hard to probably go over some of the incident. So really appreciate you taking the time to to speak to us today.
1: Good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So before we delve into the actual incident and the technicalities, Could you just give me a bit of background into your organisation, first of all?
1: Yeah, so I work for the Edinburgh Festival Fringe Society and we are the charity that underpins the infrastructure of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Uh, For those of you that don't know what the Edinburgh Fringe is, it is the largest arts event on the planet. Um, It's a multidisciplinary arts festival that takes place every August in um, Edinburgh for three weeks. Um, It's a truly magical and wonderful event and you should all come
0: Agree with that, yeah.
1: Get my plugs in early. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, see, so I'm just thinking about the dates. So, we're, we're just discussing when this took place. I mean, w- were you in a, a state of change prior to this happening? Had you made changes? There was obviously people working from home. Uh, the workforce was reduced somewhat, or were there, we you know we'd moved to a sort of electronic period at that time. Was there change prior to this? Were you working differently?
1: Yeah, we had been working differently. So, this happened to us in. January 2021 so by that point we were you know a year into um COVID and really trying to understand we'd shifted how we'd work remotely and then in fact some of the things that we'd done pre-COVID and during COVID to move into a more remote environment actually helped us in the long run in terms of being in the cloud and not be dependent upon server architectures so things had started to shift already um and this came at a point when there was still quite a lot of uncertainty at this about that year's festival but we were In operational planning, ready to deliver mode, um, but thankfully not quite middle of August mode.
0: (laughs) No, no. See, right. So you were you were moving forward though, and it was plans to put that event on that year. Is it? So prior to the incident, did you have any indication that anything was wrong? Did you have a few weeks before? Was there anything, or were there computers offline, or things working slowly, or just anything at all?
1: No, not that we are that we were aware of at the time, um. I think it was a it was a very much a surprise to us to find of come to work and find that our files were inaccessible
0: to us. So
1: we hadn't seen any unusual behaviours that would have indicated that
0: something was going on behind the scenes. And that's it. It was as black and white as that turn up and no access. A, yeah. Okay. So in relation to that, the incident, uh, can you just like, describe how it played out? And well, in fact, how did you feel when you when you heard about it?
1: Oh, it was a fun day. Um. So. The team arrived, some of the team arrived at their desks, um, either in person or remotely, to find that everything on our shared network drives was inaccessible to them and had been replaced with a README text file. Uh, I got called call from our IT team, who are partly internal and partly a third party supplier, sort of indicating that maybe something had happened and they were investigating. And it sort of snowballed from there. So at the start, it was like, oh, okay, you know, things happen. It was just expecting it to be one of those one of the mill things. And then within sort of an hour, uh, an hour and a half, it was really clear that it was quite serious and that um, they they managed to um, infiltrate the whole system. So at that point, uh, everybody stopped doing whatever they were doing and focused their attention on, tried to understand A, what was happening to us and B, what we needed to do. I think we were all I don't think we knew quite what was happening to us, but we all knew it was pretty serious, and that it required a pretty um, all hands on deck immediate response.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned there that there's a message on the staff screen. So I mean, that that was I mean, the staff at that point knew what was going on. It wasn't like you, you know you could deal with this at an executive level, but you know everyone knew from the start. Then
1: yeah, it was um, well it, it, the impacts. I suppose sort of jumping about a little bit. The the things that weren't impacted were very much externally focused, like ticketing registration. Um, mailing, marketing, all those sorts of things. They were they were um, very well protected from this. But the, the main impact of this attack on us was on our operational files. So we were moving into the Office 365 environment, uh, but we still had a sort of legacy physical server. So all staff trying to log into the VPN, all staff trying to work at home and get into files that weren't in those cloud-based systems were like, nope, you can't go anywhere. Yep. And of course, the first thing we did was sort of switch everything off because we didn't want it to get any worse than it already was. So. The, the initial instinct, which was right, now let's just start turning things off. That that got pretty um that that got pretty urgent pretty quickly.
0: How far into the transition from legacy to cloud were you? I mean, did you have access to part of the stuff you were needing to 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 continue working? Or
1: so largely, uh, the teams had done a great job of moving um, operational files for the previous year and the year that we were in to Teams and SharePoint and all that Microsoft product. So a lot of that was quite um. Accessible. We we were. I'd say we were probably about three quarters away through the current operational, and we hadn't really started to think about how we might transfer over archive and legacy and historical data. So, we'd made quite a lot of progress in the day to day running of the charity, not being on a server in our in our server room, but hadn't done a lot about the legacy, and were in the late stages of a. a transfer of our finance and payroll files but the timing of the financial year end meant that that hadn't been done so that was quite a big impact to us to lose that To so lose a that information and b to lose access uh, at that point with things like our audit etc made all of that much more complicated
0: yeah you you were saying there that you then went listen shut this down shut down we don't want this spread and i mean is it was that your was that the reaction uh, in in relation to well the decision making process let's close down when well i suppose did you have a plan
1: um we had a we had a sort of plan as a as a company as an organization responsible for this major event we had a series of incident management plans that did include things like what if we were unable to access our servers but they were largely you know there's a fire or the police shut the road or there's a massive power outage edinburgh's power can be unreliable we hadn't really done much in the way of thinking about this and we'd always focus that on you know the service to the customer so can you register your show can you buy a ticket yeah. can you engage with the fringe society we've done less work internally but the the instinct was that there was clearly a um, there was clearly a malware in there and to switch off all of the affected servers was the first instinct and then that then had knock-on effects like oh our phone lines were on voice over ip so they suddenly vanished and so then the the it team focused on Putting fixes in place of the things that we'd switched off while we focused on trying to understand what was going on and what we might do about it.
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned you mentioned the public and the ticketing. Well, in fact, a minute ago you mentioned the. Uh you know, payroll, etc. Was ticketing was the public side still up and running, or was that down for a for a period as well?
1: No, there was no interruption to anything publicly facing. Um, I think maybe our phone lines weren't operational for about an hour. As an organisation who process a huge amount of um, financial transactions, and obviously our pri- our primary purpose is to help artists and audiences register their shows and buy tickets, we'd done a huge, quite sophisticated amount of work in protecting those and ring fencing those. So we had considered cyber resilience and cyber security in those areas so thankfully none of that um externally you wouldn't have known this was happening
0: yeah I think I remember at the time and also I read online recently that there, you did have good segregation in and place then, your systems were fairly well set up in terms of preparing for this attack
1: yeah we have done a lot of work around obviously we you know we have to be compliant with payment card industry standards and we have to be compliant with GDPR so we've done an awful lot of work around making sure that where other people's sensitive information might be held that they weren't vulnerable we just not finished that work on our own files in our own <laughs> systems that, that help us with the operations of the charity
0: yeah what about internal communications were they impacted at all or when decisions were getting made by you and your team how how were they really down the way?
1: Internally it was good we we had to fix out figure out how to make sure everybody can access their emails and actually one of the things when we got our instant response company on board three or four days later the one server we hadn't shut down was the domain controller because it was the only thing that we we had to control email so that that was that was where their expertise came in because they allowed us to be able to switch that off but maintain email correspondence. So actually it was it was good even though everybody was was working at home. We I mean in the first instance, I think two days after it happened, we pulled everyone together to sort of tell them what was going on. We'd sent them all an email explaining that uh, there'd be disruption and that this was happening. And then we just kept them up to date. And one of the reasons that we kept them up to date is the most sensitive data on those files that could have been subject to a data breach was their data as employees. So it was really important that they understood what we were doing and why and what was happening to us as an organisation.
0: You've you've actually, you just went in there, mentioned after a couple of days that you had, you know, you were having meetings and you were relaying information to them. I was going to, one of the questions I was going to say, well, what were the timescales involved in this? How did it play out in terms of incident to incident response company to you know just moving forward I mean how, how, how long do you think it got to recovery? How-
1: it was um, as I think most crises are it was incredibly quick and then incredibly slow so incident re- incident reported at sort of you know 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning um, we've talked to the ICO we've talked to NCSC we've talked to um, Scottish Business Resilience Centre we've talked to the police um, by the sort of you know Tuesday afternoon we've got an incident response company on board by that weekend uh, who'd come through our insurers and then the sort of two weeks after that were a sort of constant stream of late nights early mornings weekends while the incident response company um, sort of sought to get us get a handle on it and get it under control as quickly as possible and make us back to operation as quickly as possible and then everything slowed down inevitably because we that that's when you know people need to go off and do deeper detailed work Uh, so we are I think we finally, if this happened in January 2022, not 2021, as I said earlier, Um, then I think the ICO sort of drew a line underneath it in September 2022 um, saying with Oscar so it was quite a long time but it did have that initial first month where it was every every single hour because time was really critical and the incident response company were quite keen to sort of get stuff resolved as quickly as possible the the recovery and the restoration took a little bit longer
0: I mean I've got a question about the incident response obviously touched on this with David from NCC when we did the first podcast I mean can you just give us an idea Idea, you're ex- you in fact you mentioned there uh, that this was allocated the the instant response cap was allocated through your insurance company. That was one of the chats we had. You know, it was it, do you ha- do you have a retainer? But you obviously had cyber insurance where uh, they were allo- You probably had legal representation allocated as well. How how did yeah how did that go?
1: So the conversation with our insurer, we did have cyber recovery insurance. Uh, not very much, but a little bit. But actually, the insurers said we could use whoever we wanted to. But we had no idea what we were looking for. We this had never happened to, to us before, so we went with their recommendations. And it also helped at the other end because they have existing relationships, which meant tidying up that insurance claim right. was easier. And then it was just trust. So. You know, we had a a very early Saturday morning call with both companies who'd worked together, both the legal and we use CyberClan and RSC, uh, CyberClan for the incident response and RSC for the legal advice. They'd worked together a lot before. So, you know, that was a very early Saturday morning call that went on for most of Saturday. And they were they were incredible. Like, I know this is their job, but it was just when you're in a position of crisis, you need people that can clearly articulate uh, what they're going to do and why they're going to do it and how they're going to help and and manage your expectations and do it in a way that accepts that you've no idea what you're talking about some of the time. I, yeah. so they were brilliant both in them um, the technical support in their their knowledge and their experience but also in their advice um in their sort of willingness for us to be like we don't know what that means and they were like well let's have a screen share and we'll talk you through it you know these are the only, only instant response company that I've ever worked with but it was at a point of crisis to put your sort of to put yourself in the hands of, of experts who who really do care about what they're doing yeah. and um aren't particularly egotistical about who knows what and who doesn't know what. It was all very sort of like, let's solve this problem. So as as weird as it is to say, they were a great team to work with um, and they had a good sense of humour and, you know, they, they were they were just interesting people and the legal advice was solid and reasonable and, and appropriate and it was a really positive experience actually.
0: Right, well, I mean from an insurance side I mean, you, you can't say any more than that then, you know I mean, that's, that boils down to trust I suppose in relationships, uh-huh. doesn't it? It sounds like that was yeah. there from there from the start.
1: It really was.
0: So jumping back slightly in, in relation to uh, cyber security and the organisation was this something that you provided training in relation to? Was it something that was discussed? This is, well, I'm thinking more executive level. Was this on your radar at all?
1: It was. And I think in retrospect, um, we were a little naive because we I think we thought we'd done the work that needed to be done in the event of a loss of information and a loss of data. I don't think what we'd done is specifically focused on something like a ransomware or a malware or a cyber attack. So um, you know, when you talk about being in a major event it's quite often that people have to consider whether or not you're going. You're subject to that sort of nefarious action where people would seek to take you out. What, what I think the most surprising thing about this was just how ordinary it seems to be. And it, I don't even think it was about us as an organisation. Uh, so we were naive in thinking that we might be the subject of something like this. Because uh, who would want to? Who would want to attack yeah. the fringe? And it, it doesn't actually matter whether or not we're the fringe. We're just the charity that they found a vulnerability with and attempted to exploit that vulnerability, so...
0: And were there any negotiations? Did you make contact with the people that had hacked you at all or, or did uh, your IR company?
1: No, we. Uh, they asked us if we wanted to. We we had both readme files and uh, sort of direct email ransom. Um, and to be honest, it didn't really even cross our minds, Um and the police's advice is obviously, you know, if you if you if you negotiate with them, then you're funding you're funding them to do this further. But as a charity responsible for the people's money, it would just I think it would be really weird for us to then be like, okay, we're going to fund cyber terrorism. So we didn't even really cross our minds at an executive or a board level that we would pay the ransom.
0: Right. Okay. No, just wondering. I mean, you obviously you've got the insurance company there, and you're kind of being guided by your legal team and by your ir company and i know you said that the police said you know don't go funding organised organize crime etc but sometimes there may be a different angle there may you know you know it's all dependent on what your guidance is at the time
1: yeah there's something really what was quite interesting about it particularly i guess for a charity or a third sector organization is the legal advice was really clear that for some companies they just want this dealt with and put away and I think the, po- the police were quite clear on that, that, you know, you don't have to report these things as a, as a crime and you don't have to support trying to understand how people do this. But from our point of view, we were so grateful to um, the signposting that was done to us of other companies that have been this. So the Scottish Environmental Protection Agency obviously had a major incident and it cost them hundreds of thousands of pounds. Being able to have read their incident and, and learn from that and understand and take guidance from how they were articulating things. And then the chair of our board and our board more broadly were very clear that this would not be a secret, that we would be really clear and straightforward. We would keep a good, clear action of um at log of what we had done and why. And we'd be fairly over about it um, and its impacts because... You know, we ultimately we've been the victim of a crime. Yeah. So, uh, and within that, if we if we can help others like us not find themselves in this position, then we should do that. Which is why I'm here talking to you. Because if if other people can learn from our stupid mistakes, then, you know, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. No. So if we can help.
0: So in terms of the hack itself, or in terms of the data that was take or encrypted in the first, did it appear online at all, or was there any? Obviously, there was staff. You said it was there was staff there? data. Do you know if that was that posted anywhere or was it just the ransom note that you had to deal with the ransom that you had to deal with?
1: So CyberClan did a huge amount of work on trying to understand the flow of information and um, the transfer of data. So they were very clearly able to evidence the point at which encryption took place, but, very, but were not able to evidence um, any sort of data transfer back out. None of that data ever appeared on the dark web or on any, uh, you know, various agencies set up searches um, against certain keywords. Uh, I think we were slightly, I mean, if if it's possible to be fortunate in such a circumstance in that this coincided with the start of the war in Ukraine. So there was a sort of element of um, the cybercrime community within Russia and Ukraine and actors acting amongst themselves in a sort of, uh, so I think none of it ever became public and we were able to say with reasonable certainty that that data was never actually extracted it was only encrypted
0: right so there was then as you say there was a shift in direction essentially with with the changes Ukraine etc so uh, I'm going to ask I'm going to use that word hindsight here which uh, (laughs) you know it's not always fair but is there anything you would have done differently in fact listening to you now it sounds like in terms of a ransom incident it actually played it quite well you had good segregation on your systems your ir company your representation was excellent but you know is there anything you could you would have done or you could have done differently since you've reviewed i mean you've taken since you've reviewed things
1: yeah definitely i think some of our points of failure in this process are we should have done more around multi-factor authentication on things like your logins to Teams and VPNs and various other things. The security on them was good, but could have been better. Um, We sort of didn't want to inconvenience people in an already inconvenient time. But actually, since we've introduced it, it hasn't been that much of an inconvenience and people have, have got good hygiene factors around that. We definitely, definitely should have tested our both our backups and our our tape and our cloud-based backups, because both of them failed, which means the files that were encrypted are completely lost to us. We we've not been able to restore any of those, which is largely sort of archive and historical information. So we definitely we had never got to the point of testing a roll down of that or testing those tapes effectively, and uh, that was a that was a schoolboy error. Yeah. You're going to make backups. You should definitely test your backups.
0: Were they encrypted or just? Not usable.
1: So the cloud backup had backed up the encrypted files, and the tape backup, the tapes were just corrupted and, and unreadable. So we sent them off to a company and they were like, No, these tapes are old right. and bad and you shouldn't have used them. Uh, so lots of lessons learned there. But I think, in, you know, looking back on it, we dealt with it in the best way possible, I think, um, and relied very heavily on that expert advice that we got from CyberClan and RPC just to try and understand you know, they've done this, they do this for a living. So mm-hmm. they were able to help us work our way through it. And then we had we had great support from Police Scotland and the NCSC. Because of the scale of the event and, and, and who we are, they were, they had concerns about, you know, any of our information becoming public. So I, I think we did the right thing in, in sort of going, this is happening to us, please help, rather than trying to hide away in a corner yeah. and pretend it wasn't happening.
0: I mean, I was going to say, have you got any recommendations for anyone else i mean you have kind of hit them you know 2fa two two-step verification double check your back you know get the basics right in terms of well certainly logins etc or vpn login etc so yeah anything else from anyone for any other businesses that you would advise
1: my main advice would be to assume that it's a when you will be cyber, t- a cyber attack not if because it seems very much to me at least that it doesn't really matter who you are what scale you are if there's a vulnerability to be exposed Um, on a massive scale then then that will happen you don't need to be a major event with a major profile and lots of money there's a there's an arbitrariness to this whole process that really really shocked and surprised me after this happened to us i was sort of seeing it everywhere it was ours it was kp nuts it was you know it was royal mail like these are big organizations but there's loads of little guys so Mm. being prepared for this to happen to you and, and knowing what you would do or what you can do to prevent it will make your life a lot easier rather than it just being a terrifying surprise that you then have to deal with because nobody likes terrifying surprises.
0: No. Uh, No, not at all. I spoke in the last podcast about having a plan and you've obviously talked about since, you know, you, you, you have taken steps to make some changes in terms of the technical side, your backups, your two-factor authentication, et cetera. What about in terms of planning, et cetera, in relation to like playbooks or an response plan? Has that, have you developed, has that, that become more robust? Uh,
1: yeah, that's evolving. So what it has done is it's accelerated our move to a non, to a cloud-based system. So, you know, the server room, the servers in our server room are no longer ours, and, and it all talks, it's all managed by other people and it doesn't rely on a being to spot a blinking light relies on a big system to do that. Um, and then the next step is where are there still potential vulnerabilities? Um, but in making that future plan, making partnerships or, or taking contracts out with very reliable, and very resilient providers and certainly in the first year or two, sort of, over monitoring and over protecting our systems mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, once bitten, twice shy. So it has evolved our planning, but what it's done is it's evolved our planning to take out that responsibility for us and to contract in that responsibility from somebody else, which actually. Is no more expensive, which is another issue. It's no more expensive than the cost of what we were running before. The 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 cost barrier, the
0: hardware, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The cost barrier for us was always the transition, and this forced the transition, and we had no choice but to find the money to do that. But actually, the running Mm -hmm. and the operational costs are as. Uh, sort of as reasonable and as effective as they were before so if you can find the money to make the jump then once you make the jump it won't cost you more in exactly. fact it probably costs you less
0: and what about testing these plans have you got any idea any plans for running days or testing testing out your systems and what it is what changes you've got Exercise, well essentially exercising exercising what you're talking about
1: yeah i mean every year we tabletop the fringe um and run through various scenarios you know a building falls down something a terrible media scandal uh, and i think this thread will come into that
0: a little more not that you want to relive it again but
1: <laughs> no no but it is useful to interrogate and to check um and the other thing that we've been able to do is um sbrc who have a um different name now
0: Cyber and Fraud Centre Scotland Thank
1: you Cyber and Fraud Centre Scotland uh do um offer to third party or third sector organisations a sort of vulnerability um, penetration testing service as a as a way. So we've enrolled in that, which I think will help us identify if there's any, any holes in yeah. our plan and there's any holes in our structure. So it'll be a mix of us working te- tabletop testing scenarios, but also allowing skilled, uh, good people to try and break their way in and see if there's any vulnerabilities remaining. So I'll keep you updated on that.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Right, Lindsay, I really want to thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. As I said earlier, uh, it must be, I've got tough here, it must be absolutely horrible uh, having to relive some of of the stuff that you went through, the processes, the pain, etc. So I'm hoping that some of the the content we've covered today will will help organisations and listeners out there. I'll finally add that if you are looking for information and resources on Instant Response, you can go to cyberscotland.com and follow the links to Instant Response. You'll find resources for putting plans together, emergency contacts, communications plans, uh, all in pack, and also playbooks as well. So you can download them at cyberscotland.com. Lastly, once again, thank you for listening to the Cyber Scotland podcast on Instant Response. Thank you again, Lindsay, for taking part in this, and bye for now.